Our scripture reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 8, starting at verse 31. So if you want to follow along, you can and in the Bibles in front of you, or if you brought one today, or you can follow along on the screen. Mark chapter 8, verse 30, starting at verse 31. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I can remember looking out the dorm room window uh, in my dorm room in Crookston, Minnesota, which is where I graduated with... uh, a Bachelor of Science degree in turf grass management. You wouldn't expect that, but that was reality. Uh, this was the first semester that I was there and maybe the first week that I was there. And on one hand, I was extremely grateful for the opportunity to start over after failing out of UW-Madison not once, but yes, twice. So, of course, I was extremely grateful for this uh, chance to start over. And also, I was in a pretty intense state of disbelief as I just looked out the window. And that's all I really remember is just looking out the window. How did I get here in Crookston, of all places? Five-hour drive in the opposite direction as the five-hour drive that Madison was from where I grew up. How did I get here with at least three more years to go in school? The dream for me, the dream of being a meteorologist, which is why I went to Madison in the first place, gone. And deeper than that, the dreams of moving through college, being successful, starting a family, maybe being able to get my own nice vehicle, gone. All those dreams, gone. And what I had no idea of at the time was that this experience that I was going through, that I was moving through at that time, this was grief, loss, the loss of a dream, the loss of my identity, the loss of a good life trajectory. And yes, I caused it, but this was loss. The loss of certainty that things were going to work out. The loss of many friendships that I had in Madison and I could no longer do life with those people. This was loss 
on very intense levels, and grief was the response to this loss. Which, if you remember from last week, we talked about grief and some of the responses that we have, and, and Mayo Clinic has a nice, tidy definition of grief. Grief is the uh, natural response to the emotional pain of loss. That's what they say grief is. Grief is the natural response to the emotional pain of loss. And so with that definition in mind, we can understand that many types of loss can evoke, invoke a grief response within us. Many different kinds of losses. The big losses, of course, like a, a, when we think of grief, we think of death. We think of divorce, which is really intense. We think of job loss, some of those really just shocking, sudden, oftentimes just really big time losses in life. That's what we normally associate with grief. But other losses can include some of the examples that I just shared, along with losses like the loss of physical ability as we get older and can't do the things that we uh, used to enjoy doing. The loss that I'm not aware of at this point, but that some have entered into or will enter into as being an empty nester, right? That, that's a significant loss that people struggle with. Sometimes people experience loss when they retire, they think, oh, I can't wait till I get to the place of retirement, but now I don't know who I am. That's a loss of identity. Other losses can include things like the loss of a role in a relationship, the loss of a worldview. Some people are walking away from their Christian faith because they don't believe that God is active and working in the ways that they were taught. The loss of opportunity, the loss of normal. These are all types of losses that evoke an emotional, emotionally painful response. And each of these types of experience generate grief as a response from us. And sometimes instead of a response, it's more of a reaction. These, these responses or reactions led Elizabeth Kubler-Ross to identify the stages of grief that were very common. We, we know very well. Probably most of you could rattle these off if I asked you. Maybe not on the spot in front of other people. I won't ask you to do that. Anger, which we talked about last week. Denial, depression or intense sadness, bargaining, and acceptance. And here's a quick teaser that John Mark Comer, some, a pastor and author that I listen to often, uh, identified a sixth stage of grief. And I'm not going to tell you what that is until Easter. So keep coming back. Come on Easter and you can, you can uh, be a part of that. It's uh, really exciting. But since the pandemic started, I mentioned this last week, I've heard a lot and learned a lot about the importance of grieving our losses. You know, just identify your losses and grieve your losses, which is very difficult to understand and commit to. I, my response when I would hear that is, I have absolutely no idea how to do that, but thanks. <laughs> yes, I, I, can, I can accept the fact that there have been many losses, but I have absolutely no idea nor example of how to grieve the losses that I've gone through. No, no clue how to do that. And that's the truth is that without an example and encouragement from others to grieve our losses, it's easy to become stuck in any one of these four stages. The idea is that as we move through grief, no matter what type of grief it is, the idea is that we would move through each stage and that we would land in acceptance. And the stages of grief are not like just linear that, okay, now today I'm on this stage and that stage. Uh, what happens is you'll go through seasons where you're in one stage 
and then you might land in acceptance for a while. And then something triggers you, and you go back to that stage, and then you hope that you go back to acceptance in time. And the hope, I think, that in your emotional well-being and in the life with Jesus is that you would have prolonged stretches of acceptance. That things are always going to happen. Some wounds are always going to be super painful. Some losses are going to be hard to overcome. But that with Jesus and the promise of the Gospel, that we could live with longer stretches of acceptance, serenity, and peace. Does it make sense? I think so, right? Okay, so it's tempting then to stay stuck in those other four stages that are less than helpful. Staying stuck with a posture of anger or denial or depression. And when we live with this sort of, if we stay stuck here, it's a posture rather than a short-term response, which if we stay in a, with a posture of anger or denial or depression, uh, it can be very difficult to have intimacy with anybody. To have intimacy with Jesus or other people, it makes it very difficult to have closeness with people or with God, which is really what we're made for. So each week during Lent, we're going to look at these different stages of grief. Like I said, we already talked about anger last week. And then we're going to look at Jesus as an example of how to move through our losses and, and also the grief responses. Because remember, we need encouragement to grieve our losses, and we also need an example of how to do that. And so we can look to the Bible to see different examples of how God moves through these different stages of grief. And yes, by the way, God grieves. God grieves. Remember, uh, grief is the emotional, emotionally painful response to loss. That's what Mayo Clinic says. Grief is the emotionally painful response to loss. So God grieves. Jesus grieves when humans turn away from the loving relationship that He offers. Jesus grieves in that moment. Jesus grieves when people are lost and don't know anything about who He is and they're wandering in darkness. Jesus grieves when people are self-righteous. When they think that they know better than God or that people should be pushed away from God's love and compassion because something doesn't add up in their life. God grieves when people place idols before God. When something takes on more of an important role than it's supposed to have, God grieves in that instance. God grieves when people are deceived by lies. Yes, God grieves by that. And God grieves when people are unfaithful. When they choose other things rather than the loving relationship with Jesus. Yes, friends, God grieves. God experiences emotional pain in response to losing our love. Human love. God, God experiences emotional pain in response to losing our trust in Him. Our faith in Him. To guide us and to be with us in life. And so, Jesus experiences the same stages of grief that we do. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus experiences this of being fully God and also fully human. So He experiences this emotional pain and also then the stages of grief. Except one. Denial. Jesus doesn't experience denial. Today is an example of the opposite of denial. What we see in the Gospel today. First, I need to talk to you about 
what is denial? What is it really? Like you might have said this before, either to about yourself or about somebody else. You know, like Jesus says, it's easier to see the speck in somebody else's eye than the log in your own eye. <laughs> it's easier to look at somebody else and say, oh, they're in denial. They're in denial about their drinking. They're in denial about their lack of attending church. Just saying. <laughs> that might be something you said. I don't say that. <laughs> I don't say that about anybody. They're, they're in denial about something. Well, denial is actually a God-given gift. Denial is a God-given gift. God made us in this way. It's a, a gift of a response that helps us to endure the worst of life. Denial protects us from the intense emotional pain of loss. Remember, it's part of the grief response. So it's, it's, a, it, it's something to protect us from the intense emotional uh, pain of loss, especially the most intense. And so the way that we first can experience denial is what we call shock. Like, we just can't even think straight because it's so painful. It's so shocking. And we can't do anything with it. And it, we might actually die if we, we felt the full weight of that emotional pain. And so God gives us the gift of shock and then denial to help us sort of live and, and become reoriented while we're going through that intense emotional pain. Denial protects us from the pain and uncomfortable feelings from loss. And we need this stage to make space to adjust and to cope. But the, the downside of denial is that it can prevent us from moving towards acceptance, which remember is the goal of grief and of life, is to move to longer periods of acceptance. Denial can actually prevent us from moving towards acceptance of reality. This is what's really going on in my life. This is what's happening around me. Denial can prevent us through self-preservation, through trying to protect ourselves and keep what we have. Denial can prevent us from recognizing our need to change something within us. And so denial of reality is an, in, an inability to understand our need to change and grow. And that's counter to what Jesus says about following Him and, and really being a Christian at its, at its core. This is what... It, it is to be a Christian. I'll read it again what Jesus says. is, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Jesus says that those who want to be His disciple need to deny themselves. Not deny God, which is what we do when we you know, place an idol before God. And also, don't deny reality. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say deny reality and then you can be a Christian. <laughs> he says deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him. And so to accept Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves is to be open to God's will for us. And to have a posture of compassion towards ourselves first and then to other people. And then to participate in giving back through self-sacrifice in relation to our giftedness, our skills, uh, our life stage, and so on, is that we give back to Jesus what has been given to us as a gift. And to accept Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves is to see our lives with increasing clarity as they are, as God sees them. To see God's will for our lives daily and to see the big picture. And to hear God's voice encouraging 
and convicting us at times. To accept Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves is to move out of denying reality. Jesus doesn't experience denial because Jesus, unlike us, is perfectly in tune with the truth. Jesus' version of reality is not distorted despite the pain of loss. See, you and I, we are constantly having to sort through what is real, what is truth, what is not real about our lives. And I don't know, maybe you can relate to this, I'm regularly getting it wrong. <laughs> like every day I'm getting it wrong. I might think something is going on either with myself or especially with other people. And then the next day I find out completely wrong. It's just way wrong again. And oftentimes it's our response to loss and pain and the things that are hard in life that shape our view of reality. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so we regularly get it wrong. And especially when denial is more of a posture. But Jesus, he just continually sees everything with perfect clarity. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Amen? So Jesus looks at your life and says, I know exactly what's going on with Kyle. I know exactly what's going on with Deb. And the good news is that God sees your sin, but that God also sees everything good about you that you might also push down or suppress. And, and so God's vision is perfect despite the pain of loss. Jesus doesn't experience denial because He's seen reality perfectly. He knows what has happened in the past, what will happen, and what needs to happen. And so, this is the hard part. Jesus isn't all that relatable to us in this Gospel text, is He? <laughs> He's not relatable to us. Peter is. Peter jumps in to correct Jesus after news that would be uh, an incredible loss. You know, Peter's following Jesus and gave up his life to follow him, which, did you know this? If you watch the Chosen uh, reenactment of the Gospels, it's a, a show that you can watch streaming on, uh, on TV. <laughs> I don't even know how to say that anymore. Peter was married. Okay, so he was giving up a lot of time to go and follow Jesus and leaving his wife at home and his family at home. And so he's excited about this ministry and that Jesus, he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And now all of a sudden, what we read in this text today, Jesus is saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to be tortured and killed. Just saying, that's what needs to happen. Well, of course, that would feel like loss for Peter. The loss of purpose, the loss of identity. By the way, the loss of a really good friendship that was developing between him and Jesus and so Peter steps in with kind of a, a posture of anger, right? What are you talking about, Jesus? That's what rebuke means. I, we don't use that word. Robert, do you use that word at work maybe? I don't know. I'm going to go rebuke my employees. It means to go and intensely correct. Like, no, that's wrong. Don't, no, don't say that. That's wrong. And Jesus then turns and responds to Peter by rebuking Peter. But Peter was experienced experiencing anger and maybe denial to protect himself from the emotional pain of the loss that Jesus was predicting. But Jesus' response to Peter suggests that denial is not a posture that we can stay in. 
Denial is a response to loss, more to be moved through. Yes, friends, denial protects us, but it also blocks us from everything else. Denial protects us from good and bad. From, it, protects, it, it blocks out God's will. Because if we think we know exactly what it is that we need to do to keep ourselves safe, or to keep ourselves comfortable, or to keep ourselves moving towards our goals and ambitions, well then of course we're going to block out God's will. We can't actually pray the Lord's Prayer and say, uh, Lord, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and mean it if we're in a state of denial about what's really happening and what really needs to happen within us. So denial protects us, but it also blocks out God's purposes, God's grace, God's will from entering into our lives and our hearts. We're invited by Jesus, during Lent especially, to identify identify the ways that we might be in denial. We're invited to grieve the losses that we've experienced, maybe throughout most of our lives, or in this past season of life, to grieve the losses that we've accumulated so that we can receive God's grace more fully. What I've discovered is most often it's our habits that we're in denial about. We have this vision of what our life will be like, and yet our habits and our lifestyle, our attitudes, our thinking, or the things that we uh, expose our minds to, we're in denial about how those are either getting us towards our goals or not getting us towards our goals. We think that if we keep living in the same way, that somehow magically things will change without taking extreme ownership for the reality that we're living in and the reality of our choices. We could say, I want really close relationships in life. But if I'm never vulnerable with people, if I never put myself in spaces where I have to like sort through awkward conversation, well then can I say that I'm really ever going to be able to achieve closeness in relationships? I might say I want to be close to God. I really want to feel close to God. But if we're not putting ourselves in the space to grow in our faith, or to worship, or to serve, or to read the Bible, or to journal, or to pray. We might be in denial about that. That Our inability to put ourselves in those spaces is ever going to lead us towards that outcome. Does that make sense? We oftentimes are in denial about our habits and our behaviors. You see, drinking for me was not necessarily a... Uh, like in my genes, of where I can't resist alcohol, but drinking for me was a denial response, especially in college. It was my way of dealing with that intense emotional pain of grief. It numbed that pain. It numbed the pain that came from loss and all the different sort of disorientation that I was experiencing. And we're all different in what causes denial and what behaviors might suggest denial. You guys are all completely different from me, so please don't think that any of my examples are what are supposed to be your examples and then, you know, discard what I'm saying because of that reality. (laughs) Sometimes our behaviors indicate our denial, right? So our phones and our addiction to our phones, we would all say, yes, we're addicted, but we're in denial about how that's shaping our brains, in our relationships with one another, our 
ability or inability to be in relationships with people and to live in community. We might be in denial about our habits of shopping and how that's what really I turn to when I'm feeling lost or feeling this emotional pain, I turn to shopping. Or when I'm feeling some sort of distress within myself, I turn to gossip because it's much easier to look at the speck in somebody else's eye, as Jesus would say, than the log in my own eye. It's much easier, maybe it's not true for you, it's much easier for me to talk about somebody else's feelings and experiences than it is to talk about my feelings and experiences or what I would like to see happen in life. Denial keeps us from seeing reality. It keeps us from addressing reality like this is exactly what's going on in my life and then having the courage to act according to our values, to our dreams, and, to our, and according to our faith. But it is uh, reality to be, to be, the reality is to be human is to experience denial. And I want to share this with you. This is, uh, this is helpful. I know it's a little long, but this is helpful. Denial is really like a blanket. Author and therapist uh, Melanie Beattie talks about denial as being like a blanket, okay? And so each of us needs that blanket to create a, a warm environment for ourselves, to make us feel safe and loved and protected. And the tendency that we each have, all of us have, is to say, I see your denial blanket, and I'm going to go take it from you. I'm going to shake you loose of your, what you're, believe, what you're uh, not seeing correctly, right? I'm going to teach those other people how they're wrong. This is social media, big time. I'm going to let them know that they're in denial. They don't know the truth. They need to know what is real. I'm going to go grab their denial blanket and rip it away from them. Well, what happens when somebody tries to take our denial blanket is that we just cling to it even more tightly. And we might go deeper into denial, even further blocking out the truth of our experience because somebody is threatening us. No one can take another person's denial blanket away from them. All each of us can do is create a warm enough environment for ourselves where we feel safe, where we feel loved and accepted so that we can then take our own denial blanket off and to say, I want to know what's true. I want to know what's happening in my life so that I can just live uh, in the way that I want to live. And we can then provide an example. Remember, we need an example of how to grieve our losses and how to move through denial. We can provide an example of someone who is willing to be honest about their life. We call that vulnerability. Everyone wants someone to be vulnerable, but none of us want to go first. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> yeah. Jesus continually enables us, friends, to set down our denial blanket. Jesus gives us grace to set down our denial blanket by blessing us with the warmth and safety of compassion. When we remember the truth that Jesus says, He says, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm, I'm here with you. In the blessing of the Holy Spirit and of grace, Jesus gives us these. And God also gives us a glimpse that it will be okay. And so we can move out of denial by seeking God's will and perspective of our lives. This is why prayer is so important. When we bring ourselves before God and say, Lord, I confess what I already know that isn't lining up with 
how you want me to live. And I also am asking you to help me see what I don't see. So we move out of denial through our time in prayer. We move out of denial through confession. uh, Through reading Scripture where we acknowledge that God's ways are above our ways. God's thoughts are above our thoughts. We move out of denial by speaking our reality in groups or with close friends. This is a powerful, powerful reality that when we speak what's happening in our lives, it becomes more real. We say, yeah, that is a struggle for me. I I think I need to do something different. And we can move out of denial through naming what we're powerless over. By naming and identifying what our response or reaction to this reality has been. And naming what we could do in relation to our values or our faith. So I wonder what your answers to those questions would be today. What is it that you feel powerless over right now at this point in your life? What feels like a loss? What feels really hard? You just got to name it. Say it out loud first. Well, to yourself. You don't, have, don't say it out loud now. That would be awkward. What's been your response to that loss? The most common response that I've noticed in this area is avoidance. We avoid the hard conversation. We avoid leaning into the problem. We avoid the discomfort of acknowledging the loss. Might actually avoid the person altogether that's involved. Maybe the bearer of bad news. What has been our response? And then we, we can take ownership of our lives by naming what we could do that lines up in relation to our values and our faith. How can we name this and move towards it and believe that Jesus is present with us in this space? So for me, speaking the truth in love has become essential for just moving through grief. It's like, is there something that I need to say to be honest about? Or some kind of conversation I need to have? Or some posture of listening that I need to take on to just let go of my trying to wrestle control over this situation in my life and to receive God's grace instead. To see with greater clarity of what's actually happening in my life. The promise of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want to read this to you. The promise of being a disciple of Jesus Christ and denying ourselves instead of denying reality. You know, letting God control our lives and determine our steps. The promise is that we would begin to see things for how they really are. And begin to see how God is working in our lives. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10. Turning to his disciples, Jesus said to them privately, meaning that not everybody will see this. Jesus says, blessed are your eyes for what they see. Blessed are your eyes for what they see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see. Every, all of us want to know truth and see truth and see the reality of things, but they did not see it. And they wanted to hear what you hear and did not hear it. 
Friends, the opposite of denial is acceptance, but first, eyes to see and ears to hear the truth about us and about our lives and about God. And so I, uh, I want to close by sharing this prayer that uh, one of my favorite professors and a, a coach of mine for many years, he encouraged us as students to pray. He says, and, and why don't you close your eyes for this? This is, can be our prayer today. He says, God, help me to know the truth about myself, no matter how painful it is. And help me to know the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. Amen. I think we'll save the Lord's Prayer for after our other prayers. And instead, we'll join in this hymn together.